we got another day of NBA action. And with FanDuel, every night is a watch party. So it's time for your FanDuel crew to make their bets. So, what's the move tonight, gang? You know that new customers who bet $5 get $200 back in bonus bets if you win. Woohoo! We're heating up, fam. Bet all the stars with all your friends and make every moment more only on FanDuel. New customers bet $5, get $200 back in bonus bets if you win. Make every moment more with FanDuel. It goes down in the dim. It go down. It go down in the dim. 21 plus and present in Virginia. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued is non-withdrawable bonus vest that expires seven days after receipt. See full terms at FanDuel.com slash sportsbook. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. I make sure that I ask people, tell me what you want me to know so that I can see things from their perspective and then get moving from there. Hey, it's David, and you're listening to Leadership Without Losing Your Soul, your source for practical leadership inspiration, tools, and strategies you can use to achieve transformational results without sacrificing your humanity or your mind in the process. Welcome to the show today. I am delighted to introduce you to our guest. I think you're going to enjoy hearing from her and absolutely have some practical takeaways that you're going to be able to apply right away. But at first glance, you might wonder, what are those going to be? So our guest today is Heather Hansen, and she gives her clients the tools to advocate for themselves and their ideas because she's been a trial attorney for over 20 years, consistently named one of the top 50 female attorneys in Pennsylvania. And she uses her psychology degree and all those years in the courtroom to help her clients know their worth and advocate for it. And so maybe now you're seeing the connection to leadership here. So she's also an anchor at the Law and Crime Network, has appeared on NBC, Fox, CNN, MSNBC, CBS. There's like a whole TV alphabet soup of places (laughs) that Heather has appeared. So uh, Heather is also the author of The Elegant Warrior, How to Win Life's Trials Without Losing Yourself. We'll talk about that some today, as well as uh, her new book is coming out almost immediately after this episode airs, uh, Advocate to Win, 10 Tools to Ask for What You Want and Get It. And that's out on May 25th, 2021, if you're listening in real time. So Heather, welcome to Leadership Without Losing Your Soul. I'm so delighted to be here, David. I love your conversations and I'm excited to be part of one. Well, and I, I love your approach to what you do too. And we're talking about advocacy and, and you know, the elegant warrior, the subtitle of, of that book, one of the concepts there, it's about achieving what you need and what you want in life, but without losing yourself in the process. You saw it, seeing the alignment between our approaches to life and leadership and, and everything that we do is great. So Heather, you've listened to the show. I know you know what's coming. But I have to ask, what is your earliest memory of yourself as a leader? It's such a great question because I had never thought of it until I heard you ask the question of your guests. And since then, I I knew it right away. It was on the school bus. I was in fourth grade. There was a new girl in school. I went to a pretty small Catholic school. We all sort of knew each other. And this new girl came to school and she was, you know, she had a fancy purse and she had different hairdos and she was very, a little bit more outspoken than the rest of us. And everyone thought that she was just the coolest thing ever. And she rode on my bus. And she was a bit of a bully and she would pick one person to sort of pick on and that person would sort of take her wrath for the next half hour or so. And on this particular morning, a young boy who was often the target of jokes 
came onto the bus. He had a lisp and he was into science fiction. He was just a little bit different than the other kids. And I saw her look at him and I knew she was going to go in for the kill. And she started to tease him about the various things that were different about him. And David, at some point, the little boy made eye contact with me. And in that moment, I knew that I had to do something. And my fourth grade self didn't know what to do and didn't want her yelling at me as well. So all I could think to do was I turned to her and I said, what are you doing? And she said, what do you mean? And I said, I'm, I'm just wondering, <laughs> what are you doing? And she said nothing and she moved on. And, you know, I think one of the things we can talk about is as an advocate, words are very important. And the root of the word lead is to go before or go first. And I think sometimes it's incumbent on a leader to go first and do the hard thing first and speak up first and advocate first. So in that moment, yes, I was advocating for that little boy, but I was also being a leader and going first. Oh, I love that in so many different ways. And it's fascinating to me, the patterns of leadership that we all have that start in many cases very early. And so there you are being an advocate, you know, which becomes your career and your expertise and you know, multiple books now. And, and so, so many different ways that that has played out in your life. Uh, and then also, and this gets into some of the, the concepts in your book, but just the power of a question. Yeah. So powerful. Well, and, and I, you know, I've thought a lot about this in preparation for today, because one of the most important skills for a leader is curiosity you know, being willing to ask questions. I always say the questions are magic in my next book. They're one of the 10 tools that we talk about. And I think that as a leader, you have to be willing to ask more questions and listen more often than you speak. So it all sort of feeds into advocacy and leadership because they're so intertwined. Well, I want to take a deeper dive into that notion of how to be curious in an effective way. And and draw out some of the other core concepts that you've got for us, because I know that they're helpful. But I want to, uh, before we dive into all the, the fun details that I'm, I'm eager to get into, I want to take a step back and ask you uh, to define for us advocacy and what you mean by that. And, you know, in daily life, what does that actually mean? What does it look like? So we all advocate all day, every day. You know, it's one of these words that people don't really recognize that they're doing it. When I give keynotes, I often ask people to raise their hand if they're an advocate and not everyone raises their hands. But the definition is simply to publicly support something. So if you say you've got to watch Game of Thrones, you're advocating for Game of Thrones. If you recommend a restaurant, you're advocating for that restaurant. And most of us, women especially, are very good at advocating for others, for our friends, our family, our colleagues at work, our children, and not as good at advocating for ourselves and our ideas and our needs and our wants. So, you know, it's really as simple as asking for what you want in a way that's most likely to make you get it. That's my definition of advocating. All right. So we're asking for what we want in a way that's most likely to help us get it. So then from there, one of the tensions that, and, and we are big fans here at, at Leadership Without Losing Your Soul and at Let's Grow Leaders of doing exactly that. And, you know, we say ditch the diaper genie and have the, the conversations you need to have and, and help leaders to do that. But one of the questions that we get asked regularly when it comes to advocacy and speaking up and pursuing whatever, you know, whatever your team needs or you need or, or whatnot is how to do that in a way that doesn't jeopardize your own career, your own standing. And, and you address this in, a, in multiple different ways throughout, throughout your books, but 
I know that that tension is probably the first question that comes up for most people as they're hearing this concept. So let's just talk about that a little bit. Yeah, it's a great point. And so, you know, those 10 tools in the next book, the last one is argument. And I always say that's the last resort of an advocate, because if you're arguing, you're probably in a bad position anyway. And the only time it's really fruitful is if a third party is deciding the issue. So like a judge or a manager, you know, and so most of the time we have to figure these things out ourselves. And the way that I recommend people do it is another tool of an advocate is perspective. You can't change someone's perspective until you understand it. So oftentimes it starts with asking questions and listening, really listening to the answers. Because once you understand their perspective, a million things can happen. You can often find a way where you both can win. There doesn't have to be a winner or a loser. So at work, if one of your leaders is advocating for more resources, it doesn't always have to be that someone else has to lose out on resources, but you have to see what the perspective of the decider is and the other people who want resources are. And then from there, you can find the best way to ask the right questions and to negotiate and to use the right words that resonate with your jury. And we all have a jury so that you can actually get what you want. Are there particular, as you're talking about using questions and having those conversations and uh, again, a hearty yes, until you understand where the other person or people are coming from, you're not in a position to try to solve anything. Are there particular questions or approaches that you have found to be effective to help people do that? Yeah, so I have a favorite question and it's in the book, The Elegant Warrior. I've talked about it in the podcast. It resonates with people so much and it's not mine. So I wish it was because it's often the thing that people most often come to me and say, this has changed my life. But Judge Rosemary Aquilina was the judge in the Larry Nasser case. Larry Nasser was the doctor, gymnast doctor who was accused of molesting all those young women. And at the time of the hearing for him, I was anchoring that whole week at the Law and Crime Network. So we had only set aside one day to watch that hearing because only a few women intended to come forward and most of them didn't want their names or their faces to be shown, which doesn't make for great television. By the end of that week, we had covered it all week long and hundreds, over a hundred, I shouldn't say hundred, over a hundred women came forward to tell their stories. And I watched the whole thing and I attributed that to one request or one question that Judge Aquilina used. As each woman came forward, David, she didn't say, why are you here? She didn't say, what happened to you? She didn't say, tell me what I need to know. She looked at each one of those women and she said, tell me what you want me to know. Mm. And they all told different stories, right? Some told stories about how it impacted their parents. Some told stories about how it impacted their children or their lives with their partners or their work. They all had different things that they wanted her to know. And now as a leader, when I was full-time at my law firm and now at my business advocate to win, I make sure that I ask people, tell me what you want me to know, new clients, potential clients, new hires, so that I can see things from their perspective and then get moving from there. Heather, that is such a powerful question. Oh my goodness. Tell me what you want me to know. If we have a frame of reference, if we know the subject we're talking about, I'm just thinking about how seen that makes us feel right off the bat. Tell me what you want me to know. It's immediately about me. 
it goes to, if I'm the one being asked, it goes to, let's say I'm having a disagreement with somebody at work and we're, we're fighting over competing objectives or something like that. You know, tell me what you want me to know. Well, what I'm going to bring up is this is what my success depends on. This is what I have to achieve. And, and this is where I'm struggling. And, and I'm going to immediately go to what's actually most important. And, and that is a genius question. I can see why you share it. Oh, Judge Aquilina is uh, just an icon to me. I had her on the podcast. I interviewed her for the book and she doesn't even know when she's doing these things, you know, like that question just comes naturally to her. But I think that it is one that if you ask it of your children at the end of the day, you know, what, tell me what you want me to know about what happened at school today. You know, it can just open up so many doors, whether you're leading your family and yourself, you know, you can ask that question of yourself sometimes and get some insight that you might not have otherwise had. Brilliant. And well, and I, what I love is all the different applications that you're, you know, gosh, you, you've made me stop and think I'm, I'm immediately going to all the different places where, you know, I might with good intent, start with a fact-based question, what happened today? Or, you know, what are the, the facts of a situation? And, and, and you get a surface thing and it, but the, the reflective, oh my goodness. All right. Well, I got my takeaway for the show. <laughs> Thanks, Judge Aquilina. Uh, and, and, well, and I thank her for, you know, using it and demonstrating the power of it, but don't underestimate your power in sharing that tool. You know, that's part of good teaching is finding wisdom where you can and sharing it widely. So and you're absolutely doing that. So I appreciate it. So Heather, the name of your first book, The Elegant Warrior, there's a lot of power in those words, both elegance and warrior. And talk with us about how those words combine to be about advocacy and about asking for what you want in a way that's going to get you, help you get it. Yeah, it's, it's, um, it's an interesting, and it so feeds into the title of your podcast. So again, one of the tools of an advocate in my next book is words, David, and I really... I'm really into words. Like I want to know what they mean. I want to know where the word comes from. I want to know what the root is because sometimes we use words wrong in a way that they're not intended to be used. So the word elegant comes from the root to choose, same as the word elect. So I believe that you choose your elegance. You choose how you're going to fight your wars and who you're going to be. And in the courtroom, that's often a difficult choice. So many lawyers, you know, trial attorneys, because our, you know, our job is war. Someone wins and someone loses. That so many people take it on and become angry and aggressive and all of those things. And I believe that you can make another choice, that you can choose to subtitle, win life's trials without losing yourself, as long as you know that it is a conscious decision. So for me, it was a conscious decision. And as I went into cases, one of the things I would always say is, I may have to take, I defended doctors when their patients sued them. So I would often say, I may have to take the patient's story, but I will never take their dignity. That was a choice I made and it was a conscious choice. And sometimes when you get caught up in a cross-examination, the temptation is there to go in for the kill and to take it all. And so having made that conscious decision, it may, and I don't, I'm not always perfect, was not always perfect, but it made it easier not to go too far over that line because I had made a choice ahead of time. Oh, that is beautiful. And I, it's a, definitely echoes a, a choice that I had made in my career as, as a young person. I, that was important to me is, yeah, all of the struggles and battles and everything else, but there's never a need to, take away someone's dignity. And, you know, and as you say, that, that line is sometimes hard. You got to dig through the sand to find it sometimes, but it's there. And if we're aware of it and strive to stay on that side of it, 
everything's better. <laughs> yeah. Oh, without a doubt. There's a line that's attributed to Viktor Frankl, although some people fight over whose line it is. But it's the idea that between stimulus and response, there is a space. And in that space lies your ability to choose. And that's where your strength and power lie. And I think that the more that we work on expanding that space, the better we will be at making that choice that serves us in the long run. Absolutely. So Heather, let's take a look at your new book here. So 10 tools to ask for what you want. So advocate to win. And I want to take this to a place of, so our listeners, we've got leaders at every level and they've got things they need to advocate for. And it's, uh, it's not just about, you know, getting a win. It's their team needs to see them being exactly your definition of advocate, right? Publicly standing up for something. Their team needs to see that courage in their leader if they're themselves going to be courageous to solve problems and contribute solutions and and so on. And so as someone's listening today saying, all right, so yeah, there are some places I need to advocate. I got to go to my boss and I've got to get some more resources for this. Or there's an approach that I think we could be taking. Automatically, we're not going to win all of these because we're not the only one in an organization and we need to be advocating for these things. So we're not leading. We're not leading well. So what, give us some of your top, I mean, you've got 10 tools. So give us a few insights into those. I will, but first I want to be clear on my definition of win. So I mentioned that in the courtroom, someone wins and someone loses and it's public. And that's hard, but it's few jobs like that, right? Like politics, professional sports, trial law. Most of the time you can find a situation where everyone can win, especially if you use the definition that I like, which is from the Cambridge Dictionary, one of many definitions of win. And it is to receive something positive because you have earned it. So even if you don't get that thing you're asking for, you can still get a better understanding with your manager or the respect of your team for having asked. And so with that definition of win, you can almost always win right? You can always find to receive something positive. What is the something positive? So I think it's important to lay that out first. And then we can go through all 10 of the tools. I can lay them out for you, David, and then you can tell me which ones you want to dive deep in. The first is elegance or choice, right? That's the first tool. The next is words, the the words that you choose as you're talking to people. The next is perspective. The next is credibility. The next is questions. The next is evidence. And then we've got presentation, which is body language, tone of voice, facial expression, and reception, which is listening to tone of voice, watching body language. Number nine is negotiation and number 10 is argument. And every one of these tools can help you to win when you are asking for something you want and making it more likely that you will get it. All right, so yeah, we'll dive into a few of those. So first thing I wanna say is, as you're listening to Heather talk about Advocate to Win or The Elegant Warrior, I have read The Elegant Warrior, haven't read Advocate to Win yet in full transparency, but I will tell you that uh, Heather is one of those authors who packs an incredible amount of wisdom into every word. So she chooses her words carefully, which means there aren't extra words you don't need. And she talks about this as a trial lawyer, that her opening statements are not going to be these long-winded affairs, and neither are her books. Uh, incredibly efficient massively impactful in a short uh, space. And so there's a, a high wisdom to word ratio there. So I would encourage you to take advantage of these as, as we're talking about them. So that said, uh, loved your definition of win. And it took us, took me back to our first book, Karen and I, our first book together, Winning Well. And, you know, it was thinking about the, 
the managers, the leaders who get themselves in trouble in what we call a user manager framework, where, and part of it is their time horizon is so short. They're not thinking about the long game and their relationships and the, the fact that this isn't just today or this week. This is for years and your entire life and career that what you're really investing in here. And, and so I think there is some, some synergy with your definition. Yeah. And I think patience is so underrated and so hard. I mean, I'm one of the most impatient people I know, but, but to get to those types of wins and build those types of relationships, it takes a lot of patience. Okay. So of the 10 tools, we've talked about elegance and choice to some extent. Credibility. I think we, everybody has a fair understanding of that. I, I want to circle back to uh, questions because we kind of started the show talking about questions and the power of questions. So let's un unpack questions as a tool of advocacy. So the first thing that I would tell you is that in the book, I talk about your jury and we all have an outer jury. Your jury is simply anyone that you want to persuade or influence. So it could be your colleagues. It could be your direct reports. It could be the people you report to, it could be your clients and customers, but you also have an inner jury, which is the part of you that decides. And so with each of these tools, David, I go through how you can use it with your inner jury, not the part of you that's critical of you, which is what a lot of people think their inner jury is, but simply the part of you that chooses. And so questions can be used effectively with yourself and then also with others. Um, I often, with my one-on-one -on -one coaching clients, I ask them to keep a question journal and start each day with three questions because the things that you look for is what you will find. And those three questions will often guide what you will find over the course of the day. So first questions are really helpful as a leader with your inner jury. What do you want to do today? What's my goal for today? What do I want to achieve? Um, you know, there's a, there's a million questions you can ask yourself specific to your day. And then with others, you know, tell me what you want me to know is one of my favorite questions, but just being willing to ask questions. There's a study from Harvard Business Review that says that many people think that asking questions makes them look dumb, but in truth, other people think you're smarter the more questions you ask. So I encourage every listener to go into every meeting with three questions, you know, write them down on a little piece of paper, put them in your mind. And then that way also, if a moment becomes uncomfortable or you don't know exactly what to say, you've got these questions ready that will help you to explore, get different perspectives and make some connections during that meeting. Uh, beautiful. So when we're talking about asking questions, one of the, uh, A, pre prefacing this question with the, the, the I, we're huge fans of that strategy. And one of the questions about that strategy of asking questions that, that we get from leaders sometimes is, you know, they'll say things like, you know, I've got a boss who, if you ask questions, gets very defensive and thinks that you're challenging their authority or so there's some insecurity in their, their boss, their supervisor. And, and I think some of the answer is entailed in the kind of questions that you're proposing. But if, if someone has a boss like that and who tends to see questions as a challenge or a threat. Any suggestions on how we can overcome that? Yeah, I think that you use the tool of perspective. So why do they say it as, see it as a challenge or threat? Was trying to see the world through his or her perspective because then you can form the question in a way that feeds that perspective. You know, I know that this has worked well, so well for you in the past and could we also consider this? And it's not like, it sounds like it's brown nosing, but it's not, it's simply, 
speaking to that person's perspective. So, you know, I know this can sometimes be scary. I know that we're conscious of this. That's one of the things that can be really effective. Start with their perspective, really work to understand it. And then sometimes that takes a little bit of work ahead of time, right? Like sitting down, looking at the situation, how does he or she see the world? How do they see this situation? And the other thing that I would add, because I know from my perspective, a lot of managers say that when I go to my leader, they don't seem to have time for all my questions. You know, they're like rushing me through. Evidence is also a fabulous tool with questions. Send things ahead of time. So send a deck or some questions ahead of time to give your leader some context. Because then when you ask your questions, they'll be more to the point and they'll have the context. So there won't be as much time spent with things that don't, don't have to happen in that one-on-one -on -one part of the meeting. Um, you're, you're making me uh, chuckle because I'm thinking about our operations manager, Michelle. She uh, uh, had something she was advocating for. Hey, I think there's a, an enhancement here. Recorded a little video, sent me the thing ahead. So, And I'd like to talk to you about this. No conversation was even necessary. Yeah. Saw the evidence, went, you're right made the change. <laughs> That's it. That's it. You know, I love to send some people think, well, then, you know, they're not going to be as interested. I love to send evidence ahead of time. I think that especially if you're dealing with the C-suite, they're so busy and to allow them to have that kind of context really shows your level of preparation. You're seeing things from their perspective and how much you care about the thing. And it oftentimes is one of the most effective tools you can use. Mm. So I've got some other questions, but Heather, I feel like I, I have to ask you, like, I can't let you go without saying, tell me what you want me to know. And me being all of us that are listening to the show, not just me, but. Yeah, no, I love it. Very rarely do people ask me that question, David. So I love it. I, what I want everyone listening to know is that no one can do it better than you. No one can advocate for you and your ideas and the resources you need and the support that you need better than you can. So often we sort of think someone else could do it better. And in the courtroom, so many times my clients, you know, I represented doctors. They were phenomenal, oftentimes famous doctors who were petrified to go up and advocate for themselves. And I always say, I, I, I can count the number of cases I've lost on one hand. And that's not because I'm an extraordinary advocate. My superpower is teaching other people how to advocate for themselves because the jury doesn't wanna hear from me. They wanna hear from the doctor who laid hands on the patient. And your jury wants to hear from you. And so to think that someone could do it better, you're just, you're just mistaken. You have everything inside that you need to be a strong advocate. And all you need to do is use these tools, you know, start to focus on the skill of advocacy and you will get better and you will be able to do it because you have the heart and the passion and the determination behind you that no one else could have. Mm, so powerful. I love that. Well, okay. I, I said I wanted to move past credibility, but now I want to take us back to that because of what you just said that you are the most credible advocate for the things that you're advocating for. So let's unpack credibility just a little bit more. So I also, in my, um, I do some curriculum for companies around these, these tools, but with the curriculum, it's the five C's of an advocate. They're connection, compassion, creativity, curiosity, and credibility. So credibility appears twice. And that's because they will not, I can't win unless the jury believes me. 
And you can't win unless your jury believes you. And the other important part of this, David, is that you can't advocate until you believe. So you've got to believe first. And that feeds into what we're talking about with your listeners. You have got to believe in yourself and your needs and the resources that you need and that you deserve those things and that you're entitled, yes, entitled to those things before you can advocate for them. So I actually think credibility is the, you know, you always have your favorites, but I think credibility is the most important tool. And the way that you build that with yourself and with others is similar. It's making promises and keeping them and setting expectations and meeting them and repeating it over and over again. But most importantly, and probably the fastest way to build credibility is when you can't owning it. That's where vulnerability and accountability come in, but it's the fastest way to build credibility, right? If one of my experts disagrees with just one thing that my client said, the jury finds that expert so much more credible because he didn't just say, I agree with that. I agree with that. You know, now he's owned one little difference and all of a sudden they believe him even more. So for the listeners with yourself, you know, own it when you said you were going to get up and work out and you hit snooze instead, own it and move forward from there. And when you don't get the project in on time or it's not what your leader expected, own it and then say, how can I fix it? And that you will build credibility so much more efficiently that way. And with your team as well. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, there are, you're a human being. There's going to be some place you, you let them down or you didn't keep your word in the way you intended or accidentally harmed or hurt somebody. You know, and the sooner you own that, the faster you own it. Not only does it build that psychological safety for the entire team to do that themselves, but as Heather said, absolutely, you are establishing your own trustworthiness. People know where the edge of the credibility is and it, it extends it, it builds it. And it's so it's so interesting the way that we often find that counterintuitive, like, oh, I don't want to do that or I'll, I'll kill my credibility when it's the exact opposite. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, I always tell my doctors that the, the, the hardest thing that they have to do is instead of running from their mistakes to run towards them. Because, you know, for doctors, their mistakes can be a matter of life and death. But when you do run towards them, it changes the relationship, it changes the connection, and it most certainly changes the credibility, which I believe is the foundation of trust. All right. So when we're talking about credibility, um, a phrase uh, I learned from Alan Weiss uh, came to mind, you know, the first sale is always to yourself, right? And I'm sure he got that from, so it's been around a while, but the as you are working to find your own credibility, there's going to be areas where you believe in yourself and you, and you know that, you know, we all have those, but there are others that feel a little squishier. Mm -hmm. And there's a a concept that I love the way you talked about this in in your first book, uh, that you are not a fan of the phrase fake it till you make it. And that you have an alternative, which I thought was brilliant. And this is a Heather Hansen phrase, not, you didn't get this (laughs) one one is yours. It's show it till you grow it. So I think that we all have that spark of that thing that we want to be inside of us. And that when we show it, it gets the oxygen it needs to grow. And so I don't, I, you know, I know faking it till you make it does not work. If I tell a doctor to go up and act remorseful, act smart, act secure, the jury doesn't buy it. Juries are, people are smart. And so that doesn't work, but showing it until you grow it, growing it, finding that thing inside and showing it, it really does help it to grow. And I'll tell the listeners a way to do this is to keep an evidence journal. And at the end of every day, write down evidence of your 
talents, your resilience, your capabilities, your skills, your passions, so that you can look back on it when you feel like you're losing that credibility and start to show those things. And you can see where they transfer, you know, so many of our skills are transferable. You know, a lot of people, I talk to a lot of people who are returning to the workforce. And now after COVID, we know a lot of people are changing careers. The skills you've built in one area are certainly transferable to the other. And once you show them, they'll start to grow and then other people will recognize it as well. Mm, that's a great tip for you. Keep an evidence journal where you can see it yourself. You know, that whole, <laughs> you're reminding me as you talked about early in my, my leadership career, I, you know, I would see these inspiring leaders and read about them or, or watch movies where there's uh, these inspirational folks. And uh, it, we haven't spoken before this, but you've already got a sense of my personality. It's, it's a calmer energy. That's who I am. And at that point, I had not owned that. And I thought, wow, well, I want to be that inspirational rallying kind of leader. And so I would try it and it felt so inauthentic and it was just weird. Yeah. And I can, I can be loud and obnoxious and have fun as a leader. That's not it. But this part of trying to be this like, it, it, it was off-putting <laughs> to the team. It didn't feel good to me, you know? And so that whole notion of show it and grow it, show it till you grow it, of, of tapping into the, the real authentic pieces and finding the evidence of, for me, in my leadership career, you can be inspiring, you can be motivating, and you're going to do it a different way. So, you know, I didn't keep an evidence journal, but not in writing, but I had to keep one up here to find those things. Yeah, I think uh, there's a story that I tell in the next book that, that your, your story just reminded me of. And it's actually two different stories. I was preparing one doctor for trial. And um, when you prepare, you know, you prepare for years before a trial actually starts. And then the night before the, the doctors to testify, I usually don't prepare them anymore. I say, go home, spend time with your family, read a book, chill out. This particular doctor didn't want it. He wanted to do it his way. And I was young enough that I allowed him to rule and, and set, the, set the pace. So we were up until two in the morning, still preparing and nothing was changing. He was a certain kind of guy and was gonna present a certain kind of way. And there was only so much I could do about that. And so as we were packing up and I said, you know, let's get some sleep, he said, Heather. And I was like, yes. And he's like, should I cry? And I was like, oh no, doctor, <laughs> please don't cry. And he did and we lost that trial. Now, another case I represented an OBGYN and the night before her testimony, you know, I said, go home and do your thing. And she did. She called me at like eight o'clock at night and she said, Heather, I'm afraid I'm going to cry. And I said, if you do, it will be fine. And she did. And the jury loved her for it. Because when you show who you are, people tend to love you for it. And also that's the oxygen that allows it to grow. And so, you know, owning who you are and showing it, I think is one of the most important ways to become your own best advocate. Mm, beautiful. All right. Owning it, owning who you are, showing it, finding that and letting that beautiful part of you be there and be real in the room with your team, with, with your leaders. That said, there are also, and this goes back to questions, some tense moments sometimes in, in these conversations. And there was another question that you introduced that I thought was very interesting. And I immediately went, oh, I need to practice this more. And it's two words. So what? So tell us about so what? What's the power behind it? When should we be using it? I think that 
so what, it, I, the story that I tell in The Elegant Warrior about that is a lawyer who had anticipated my objection and the worst thing that could happen and decided that she could deal with that repercussion. And I think we can all do that. You know, at the beginning of every trial, sometimes my clients called me Chicken Little because I'd always say, how can we lose? What's the worst that can happen? If, if they ask this question, if they see this piece of evidence, how can they use this? And that's the so what, right? What if this happens, then so what? And then if that happens, then so what? And sort of walking it down to the worst case scenario and knowing how you're going to deal with it. And that way, most of the time it doesn't even happen because you're so prepared and you're more prepared than the other side. But if it does, you know how you're going to deal with it. And then you don't, first of all, you're more confident going in that you can deal with almost anything. And second of all, when it comes up, you have a response. It might not be a perfect response, but it's a response. And so asking yourself, so what? Every time you start to have that negative thought or that piece of dread is a really great way to overcome it. So when you ask an honest, so what? You're, you're preparing yourself. You're saying, okay, what can actually happen here? And then let's be prepared to deal with that. And it seems that there is also, and one of the, the reasons that I was attracted to the question as I encountered it was that as you ask, so what, you're often going to find that it's not as bad as what you were you know, imagining or fearing when you really look at it. Well, that most of the time, right? You know, when I, when the first book, I wrote my first book, I'm a voracious reader. I love to read. And so I've always wanted to have a book and I've always wanted to have it in the bookstores, but there's a lot of scary things about writing a book. Like people might give it bad reviews. Well, so what? You know, I'm really thinking like, so what? Well, that'll sting for a minute and then you'll get over it, right? It might not sell. Well, so what? You know, and most of the time, if you really ask yourself that question and answer it honestly, most of the time the so what isn't that big of a deal. And if it is, then you figure out how to deal with it ahead of time and it doesn't come as a surprise. It's sort of like doing a pre-mortem right? Like what's the worst thing that can happen here? And then you sort of see ways that you can avoid that thing. Either avoid it or gosh, I don't need to be worried about it in the first place. Yeah. Right. right. Wow. Good stuff. All right. We're talking with Heather Hanson. She's the author of uh, two books, The Elegant Warrior and Advocate to Win, 10 Tools to Ask for What You Want, which is coming out May 25th, 2021, if you're listening in real time. So it's going to be available very soon. And uh, Heather, thank you so much for sharing everything that you've shared with us. I, I want to ask one follow-up question, but before we go there, tell us where to find you, where to find your books, or learn more about what you do or connect with you. So the best place, I, I have notoriously had two websites and they're converging into one. So it's Advocate to Win is the website. And there you can see all of my offerings. I do training and consulting and keynoting and all of the things. Both of my books are on sale there. My podcast, which is called The Elegant Word, you can access that there as well. So that is the place. I also am very active on social, on Instagram. I'm at, I'm Heather Hansen. I am Heather Hansen with an E. Um, LinkedIn, all the places I like to, listen and ask questions and engage on there. And we will absolutely include all of those links in the show notes page as well. So Heather, as we are tying a bow, we could obviously talk about this for a long time, but as we're tying a bow on this conversation, I'd like to ask you to share with us when you think about, as you said, your superpower is helping people to advocate for themselves. When, when you think about the career you have had with that superpower, what has been most rewarding 
one, maybe there's been a moment that, wow, that really stands out in the power of learning to advocate. And then also, what is the biggest obstacle or roadblock we face and what should we do? So it's a two, it's a two questions in one, but what's been most rewarding? What's the biggest roadblock that we should be prepared for? If you indulge me in telling a story that will help to sort of um, address both, I think. And it is also the story, the real origin story of the, the name, The Elegant Warrior. So in my cases, we take depositions before trial so that we can ask all the questions that we want to ask so that at trial, we can ask very specific questions in the hopes of winning. And in this case, the patient had sued my doctor. The patient had cystic fibrosis and that caused anxiety and pain. And the pain caused more anxiety, big cycle. And he was taking a um, bunch of anti-anxiety medications and he came into the hospital. My doctor was a hospitalist and he claimed that he told my doctor that he was taking X amount of medications and my doctor didn't give him enough medication. And as a result, he had withdrawal seizure that led to breaking five of his vertebrae. My doctor said, I put down the, the amount of medications that he told me he was taking and that's what he got. So it was really a, he said, he said. And a deposition, I had to inquire about this. And so we went to the deposition, David, and the patient was super anxious and kept running to the bathroom. He was having bathroom issues. And we couldn't even get through two questions and he'd have to run to the bathroom. And so his attorney said, we'll have to end it. We'll come back another day. And we came back another day and the same thing was happening. And so I, I was like, I need to ask these questions. So I bent over and looked him in the eye and I said, what can I do to help you? How can I make this easier for you. And he said, oh, these boots that I have on, they're so big and hot. He was wearing those Timberland boots that like lace up with the really thick laces. He said, if I didn't have these boots on, I think I'd be more comfortable. And so I got down on my hands and knees and he pushed and I pulled and I took his shoes off for him. And we were able to get through the deposition. And during that deposition, I saw that his testimony contradicted the medical records and it contradicted my doctor and it contradicted the nurses. And I knew that we were gonna to go to trial in this case. It wouldn't be one that settled. And so probably a year later, we went to trial and right before I, he was going to testify, it was the lunch break. So I was working on my questions and moving things around as I do for cross-examination. And he came over to me right before he went onto the stand with his mother. And he said, mom, this is that nice lady I told you about, the one who was so kind to me when I was in so much pain. And she threw her arms around me and gave me a big hug and said, thank you for being so nice to my son. And then he took the stand. And, you know, we call the rooms where we prepare for trial war rooms. And we call the stories we tell about trial war stories. And I am a warrior and I had a job to do. And so I did. I cross-examined him. And I knew I was doing well. The jury was leaning forward. All the body language stuff that I talk about in the book was there. And yet when I was done, I went to my car and I cried. Because who was I? Was I the elegant woman who helped that man with his shoes? Or was I the warrior who attacked? And who did I want to be? And I won that case. And that is one of the highs, you know, to, having, to have served my doctor in moments where it's difficult to lean towards warrior when you have to actually argue and you have to fight for the people that depend upon you. When I'm able to do that and still maintain my elegance, that is the high of my job then and the work that I do now as well. But the low is never being quite sure that you rode that line as well as you could and always wanting to do it a little bit better. And that's 
a low because in those moments, you know, it's tears in the Toyota RAV4. You know, and my experience on that is that I've never met anybody who is concerned about that line and doing it in the right way and staying on the right side of the line who isn't doing a good job at it. It's where I would be worried in any leader I've ever spoken with or coached is when they're not aware of that line or they don't care about that line. But as long as you're aware and as long as you're caring, you're going to be heading in the right direction. You're asking those questions. How can I show up elegant and warrior in winning well talk? It's how can I focus on results and relationships, confidence and humility? Heather, thank you so much. That's just such a beautiful story to close with. And I appreciate you sharing your wisdom and just encourage your listening get yourself a copy of Heather's books. You will not regret it. They are quick reads, but lifetime of practice uh, to, to implement and high value, as I said, in, in what you're going to get there. Uh, Heather, thanks again. Um, any final words before we go? No, David, I want to thank you. And I want to thank the listeners for listening. I know we're all busy and to invest time in something like this is an investment. And I hope you got some return. I am confident they did. I know I did. And so if I did, that's why people are listening. You did a fantastic job for us. We really appreciate it. Thank you again. Uh, all right. Get your copy of Advocate to Win, 10 Tools to Ask for What You Want later this month and uh, pair that with The Elegant Warrior. Put those tools into practice advocating for yourself, for your team, for your customers, your clients, and be the leader you'd want your boss to be. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.